Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I'm Gael, and today I'm with Mark. How's it going, Mark? As always, it's going fantastic, Gail. Thanks for asking. I'm trying to be as neutral as possible because last week you were like, oh, you're not so happy that you're hanging out with me. When are you flying to Chiang Mai? By the time this goes out, I will probably be in the air. So this week, we're recording this last week as you're hearing it, but yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a crazy time travel movie. Uh, anyway, we are going to be in Chiang Mai this week as this goes out. We have a meetup on the 31st of October. I just realized it's Halloween as well. There is all the details on us. Yeah, I might go buy a costume, but there's if you are in Chiang Mai this week, you can go check our Facebook page. There's going to be a link to the Facebook event. And if you want to show up, it's 100% free. You don't have to pay anything or whatever. And if you want to go hang out, I know there's a bunch of Atari Hacker Pro members showing up, but Matt Diggity might show up. Funny thing is uh, Charles Float might show up as well. I've been hanging out with him lately. And honestly, I had a good time. It's been great. But I know I know he's been a controversial personality. So if you want to debate about SEO stuff with people that have different views than you, it can be a good place to hang out as well. So anyway, you can go check on the show notes of this episode, which is going to be update autorihacker.com slash update dash vs dash new. Or you can go check the Facebook group, the Facebook page, sorry, for Atari Hacker. So as the URL spoiled it, and anyway, you've seen the title of this podcast, today we're going to talk about updating content versus creating new content. And it's something that, honestly, when we started a website, we haven't considered very much. And now we're kind of biting our fingers a little bit on that. But actually, I had a story I wanted to tell before that. It's like, I quite liked studying history when I was a kid. And uh, one interesting part was the expansion of the Roman Empire. And boom, we just lose half the audience. But what I want to say is that uh, when the Roman, the Roman Empire got really big, they, could, they literally could not expand anymore because they had to spend pretty much the entirety of their time just reconquering like territories that had been conquered before because like local communities would just take them back over and for them to keep control over them and keep collecting tax from them and you know keep their culture growing there they literally had to send their army left and right in the empire just to make sure that people remember that they're under the roman empire and i do feel that this analogy despite the fact that mark hates my analogy applies in this case because when you're growing a website, obviously, when you have nothing, growing it and creating new content makes a lot of sense. But once you have an existing website, parts of your empire are slowly going to be degrading as you don't put attention on them. And that is what Content Blade is all about. It's about figuring out what parts are not performing as well as in your site and essentially working on them to maintain whatever market share you had in that space. And something that we've noticed as we worked on the new Authority Hacker site, so it's been up for about a week now, there's been some interesting ranking changes, actually. It's been going down for navigational queries, such as, so we used to rank for like Amazon Associates, or we used to rank number two for like ClickBank. We ranked higher than their social profiles, et cetera. These keywords have actually been going down which looks really bad if you check HRS, but actually in terms of traffic, it's very low because when people type ClickBank, well, they want to go on ClickBank, so they don't really click on our website. But some other keywords have been going up, like all the review keywords have been going up and so on. So it's more or less stable in terms of traffic, but it's very interesting to look at it. 
But what was really interesting to see was that as we migrated content, we essentially had to re-upload every page. So we had to make an inventory of the content. And we realized that, holy shit, it takes some work to maintain this stuff. And that content maintenance is something that we didn't account for when we started. And also, thank you, Mark, for deleting the YouTube channel. But <laughs> there's a bunch of broken videos on our blog right now. So what, what this allowed us to do is actually to identify a bunch of low-hanging fruits for improvement. And it's something that, for example, on health emission is really hard to, to do, right? Do you want to say anything about everything I've said so far? Yeah, I mean, just the, the idea of making a content inventory, I think it's something everyone should do from day one. It's proven to be hugely useful, not just in uh, you know identifying where we have broken videos and mistakes, which was the primary purpose of creating it as we were doing the migration to the new site but also just to sort of like put out there like realize what content you still have up and draw attention to stuff you maybe forgotten about or categories you worked on but maybe hadn't gone as deep as you could and all sorts of stuff like that so it's just a really useful tool for whatever reason having it in a sheet just makes it much more i guess accessible and visible and obvious to you what content you have out there than you know just in your WordPress dashboard, which doesn't really display it in in such a I guess succinct way. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing as well. It's like the question is always like creating new content. It costs a lot of money. I mean, Health Ambition when it was running at full speed, we spend like three, four thousand dollars in new content per month, right? And I feel like yeah, I'm not even sure exactly a bunch of money. And the thing is, at some point, it's kind of like works like software as a service companies, like your churn rate, i.e. the rate at which you, you might lose some keyword rankings or whatever source of traffic you have, which does happen over time. It's not a lot per month, but there is a bit of churn. But when your site gets really big, that loss amount ends up equaling the gain amount you get from creating new content. And you're essentially putting a bunch of money out to just replace the traffic you're naturally losing by letting old content get old and not updated and essentially lose uh, its traffic. And that's when you get to a point where you're spending a bunch of money on your site just to break to like make the exact same amount of money. And, and we've been in this place several times. But one thing that is very important to realize is that creating new content is probably one of the most resource-intensive processes in your website, whereas updating content does take a lot less effort to, in general get a lot more gains from it. Your piece of content is already ranking at least on page two, I would say, of Google. You don't need to rewrite everything. You just need to work a little bit on it. And the gains are substantially more important by doing it. So what this does is this puts your profitability much higher as a business if you're able to nail down content updating versus if you're only a business that can do new content and just ignores old content. So with the same amount of effort, you'd essentially get more traffic. And if you're good at monetizing, you'll make more money. And that's why that's really a big process that we're massively going to focus on uh, end of this year slash next year, updating content. And you'll probably see in the blog strategy for uh, Atari Hacker, a lot of posts that we're going to put out there, mostly going to be refresh of old posts, but like some of them completely written, some of them slightly updated, a little bit like that. So anything you want to say on that? Yeah, just so I want to explain a little bit more to, to anyone who's maybe a bit new to authority sites. I mean, one of the, the things which is so great about authority sites is that you can do this work creating new content, growing your site, 
and it kind of stacks uh, it stacks very well compared to uh, a typical like a job or you know if you're working in an agency working for clients month on month which is if a client quits it can be a big problem and you lost everything you're kind of working for it's not like there's no element of that in authority sites and you know as gail said as you go forward you will lose rankings for certain posts this is like all updates and stuff aside this is just naturally as your content ages maybe new competitors come in which have better newer more relevant more up-to-date information and just the level of competition in general increases so at the same time it's still compared to you know traditional businesses there's a big margin for error i guess it's like the time in which you put the work in so create the content and then it put it out there. It's not like, you know, it just, it's up there for a few days and then it loses its ranking. You know, many of these stay for years, sometimes many, many years at a time. But when you start to produce several hundred, even several thousand keywords in a niche, you're eventually, your articles for this, those keywords rather, you're eventually going to hit, you know, most of the potential keywords you're, you're going to touch. And so, there starts to be kind of a diminishing returns, really, because you've you've hit the easy to rank for, lower competition, even medium competition kind of keywords, and you simply run out of them. You get to the stage where you're you're either branching into like different topics, which are sort of loosely associated, or you simply start a new site, which is what a lot of people do in that situation. And I just feel that. I guess like a lot of people overlook sometimes the need to go back and update existing content, stuff that's either failed completely from the start or has, you know, ranked done well and then sort of trailed off a little bit over time. So yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, failure is the most common case, right? It's like a successful blog We'll only have like one in 10 to one in 20 articles doing well. And like nine out of 10 or 19 out of 20 not do very well. It's it's very frequent. I think it really depends. And I hate when people say it depends in SEO because yeah. they don't really articulate themselves. It depends. Well. You should test it and just do good content is like the three exactly. things. Exactly. It's bullshit yeah. information. So <laughs> to get more specific, what I mean by that is there are sites which will just queue up you know a thousand keywords and just find a writer and churn out articles for that and see what happens see what sticks and then there are sites on the on the other end i mean we did that with health admission on the other end of the spectrum you have i guess the best example i can think of was brian dean's site he yeah, has, yeah he does a good I job think, yeah. 10 or 20 articles or something on his, his blog it just goes back and updates them but they're all fantastic really 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 good now, each end of the spectrum, there's a strong argument to say, well, you should maybe consider doing it more, you know, towards the towards the middle, you know, not a spray and pray, not a sniper rifle approach, but something in the middle that kind of has the best of both worlds. And that's really what everyone's trying to do here. And it's finding that balance, which is which is kind of what we're talking about in this in this podcast, really. I actually I disagree a bit. It's like I feel like these days probably going you should go all the way one way or all the way the other way because it's like it's it's the thing it's like someone's going to be like Brian Dean in your niche and just have 10 articles and just outrank you every time they put they compete for a keyword and someone's going to be publishing more than you 
and and essentially get more traffic than you because they just have more budget, they have better processes, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, I'm almost, I'm not exactly sure what my position is right now. It's like, I'm kind of deciding, but I'm almost feeling that maybe the extreme is the solution here. And that's really not a refined position here. Yeah, I think that's a terrible idea because essentially okay. what you're saying, essentially what you're saying is the only way to do well is to do fewer articles that are better than Brian Dean in online marketing or to write more articles which are are worth. Well, I think the thing with the spray and pray approach is inherently when people talk about it, there's a like an inherent bias towards, you know, poorer quality content in there. So the assumption is that if you're producing hundreds or thousands of articles, that the quality is going to be a lot lower. And to an extent, that's true. Neil Patel's articles are not as good as Brian Dean's articles in general. But <laughs> he gets a lot more traffic because uh, yeah. you know he's hit all those keywords. Let's be honest, you know, you can agree or disagree with Neil's approach, but like in general, his quality, the quality of his content is fairly decent. You know, there are you know certain issues, but in general it's good. I've heard stories this week, I'll tell you in private, but no comments. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, definitely Neil Patel's doing well. So it's it's kind of like it's about finding this mix, I guess. It's about finding the mix of like quantity and quality. Yeah, but that, that's what you said you shouldn't do. You said you should go one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, it can be a mix, right? You can be 100% one way and 0% the other way. That's a mix. Uh, <laughs> it's like when we are the Long Island Ice Team Kuala Lumpur, you know, it's like it just go all the way into getting pure spirits and no coke. Those were the days. Even Brian Dean, though, it's not 100% one way. He could still, and he, he could still make his content better and do, you know, just do one article and that just focus 100% on that would yeah. be the best ever. But like you can see, it wouldn't really be worthwhile him, him doing that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I'm just saying that I would try to lean, to lean much more towards one way or the other rather than trying to be 50-50. Maybe that's a better position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say exactly where fifty fifty is. What I would say is like, don't try and just do the spray and pray approach forever. I think there's a time and a place for for that, as long as you have a sort of minimum or a decent level of semi decent level of quality. When you're starting a site, you can take this to sort of like find out where you can do well in. If you're starting a health site, you do content in. Several you don't start areas. a health site these days. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do content in several different subtopics of health and then see maybe you do quite well in supplements or juicing or, or something else. And then once you see what's kind of working for you, you can hone in on it that way. Yeah. Do you think that you can start a website with spray and pray, put like thousands of average pages together, see what kind of ranks and then go back to his pages and make them really epic and either just remove the content that didn't work or just merge it into existing articles, right? I think you can do that. From personal experience, I think the danger with that, and that's probably why we're having this podcast in the first place, is that you build really good systems for creating content at scale you know your, your business sort of revolves around that in, initially and your whole setup your team your systems are are built to do that so it actually becomes quite difficult first of all to identify when you hit the point when you should stop doing that and then you know zero in and focus on updating content or you know focusing in on uh, certain subtopics rather than just trying to hit everything 
it, it becomes difficult to identify when to do that. And then more importantly, it becomes very difficult to actually change your business to do that because likely you'll need a whole new set of systems, a whole new team. You'll need to figure out content again completely because you'll need to level up the quality significantly, which is a difficult thing to do. And yeah, there's just a lot of challenges to it that make it inherently, I think, difficult. And it's been my observation, at least, that a lot of people in the SEO space specifically, they get very good at starting sites and growing them, you know, to low to mid six figure sort of range. And, you know, that's that's awesome. But like to really get to the level where uh, if this was six months ago, it said Dr. Axe, but today, you know, Healthline and these kind of, these kind of sites. <laughs> today he's at. back on Wicked Fire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> these kind of sites are at. Then, um, you know, it, it really takes, a, takes a, a different psychological approach as well as sort of different systems and processes in your, in, in your business. I agree, but like I, I, one thing I feel that we've done with uh, with with Hatha Mitra, it's like yeah, as we said, we spend a significant amount of money on content, and the hit rate was not super high. And I have a feeling that it's just more work initially to figure it out. But if you manage to like take your hit rate, i.e., successful article rate, from let's say one in twenty to like one in five, then it's it's probably how you break in most niches, especially most competitive niches. These days, it's just like the work not many people are willing to put in, but that can be a huge, huge advantage to get into crowded niches. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think to put a good analogy in here, it's kind of like playing the game uh, Battleships, you know? You're just basically shooting blindly, randomly see when you first start out because you have no information about what the results of your kind of shots or your effort are going to be. Once you have that results, then... If you're able to, you know, then say, okay, well, I hit part of a ship here. I'm going to zero in on it. Or, you know, this this keyword or this group of keywords started ranking really well. Okay, I'm going to zero in on that. And then, you know, really expand that, make a hub and expand and like hit all the keywords you, you can find in that, in that area. Then, you know, you, you can do really, really well. I think that's a good approach. Do you want to talk about why content fell and some succeeds? Yeah, so... I mean, we don't have time to go into the whole how Google algorithm works. It's incredibly complex. We don't know half of it ourselves because it's closely guarded secret. But in general, a vastly, vastly oversimplified version is that you need three things, more or less. Relevant quality content. So that's content which is targeting a keyword. Uh, and the content should be of a specific quality standard. You need authority on your on your site on your page and there's also the competition factor like what everyone else is doing because at the end of the day search results are a ranking of you know in google's case 10 on page one most of the time results and if you're the only person targeting the keyword you're going to be number one but that never happens so most likely you're going to have to deal with deal with competition and the second two factors there the competition and your site's authority especially at the start, are going to be massively in flux. So they're changing every day as you as you grow, as you build more length, as you do your thing. Getting a site from, like in the first year especially, the, the change is generally very, very significant. As, you, as your site matures and you know you grow into a certain level, the while the authority may increase, the relative authority compared to the competition at that, that, that higher level may be a little bit more stable, but it's still changing a lot. But the important thing is all through that, 
the one thing that, unless you've updated your content, the one thing that has not changed is the content you've put out there. Therefore, the time at which you do your keyword research and make the decision, hey, I think I can, I think I can make a dent here. I think I can rank here. And the time at which you actually are able to assess whether that is the case or not, you know, there's a lag there. So it's going to be different. This is especially true for a new site. If you put a piece of content up on day one, then you're not going to be able to identify really whether your your site is going to, whether that content is going to rank well, because the authority is so much in play and competition to a large extent as, as well. Because the content if you're not updating it, it's stable during, you know, let's say you're two years before you go and look at it again, then that is the one constant factor. And so if your authority is growing and, you know, you're generally well-placed in the competition, we'll talk about some like on-page factors and some other things in a little bit, then you can kind of start zeroing in and, hey, maybe it's my content that's the problem. So really the question is, why does content fail or succeed? And it's very interesting. Even if you're doing a good job at an SEO, right? If you are doing your keyword research on, say, day one, and you're like looking and you're like, oh, there's like some low domain authority sites on page one, or their content is not very good, etc. And especially if you're starting with a new site, the time between the time when you're looking at this keyword and the time when your content has an actual chance to rank. For a new site, that can be six months or 12 months, right? In six to 12 months, a lot can happen, including new content from established competitors. So you're looking at this keyword, and at the same time, a competitor that has a well-established site might be looking at the exact same keyword and be like, oh, we can write about this. And you know they're going to put out this content in like a month, whereas you'll take three months because you have a new site. And then by the time you, know, you will get there, you will put publish your content and your site has gone out of Google Sandbox and so on, well, the landscape has completely changed. You Google the same keyword and all of a sudden, like five high authority sites are ranking for this keyword. You didn't make a bad judgment when you looked at this keyword. It's just that by the time uh, you actually have a chance to get there, well, all of a sudden, there's a bunch of people competing for this, and it's quite complicated. And uh, if you've benchmarked, again, low-quality content, and all of a sudden, there's really good articles ranking for this keyword, well, maybe you haven't put enough effort into this anymore and your content is not ready to compete with them. I would say that's a, one of the big reasons. And to be honest, there's definitely a factor of like rolling a dice when you publish a piece of content. I mean, I've talked to a lot of big SEOs. Despite the fact that we are able to identify a lot of factors that contribute to making content successful, there's also a lot of cases where you have everything just aligning perfectly. And for some reason, that piece of content will not rank and a shitty piece of content will rank above you. Many reasons could be for that. It could be, you know, hidden PBNs. It could be all that stuff. But it does happen sometimes that you just, have everything it, lined it, up. And it could also rank. just be the, the quality of the content itself. It's very difficult to, to measure that and how, you know, users interact with that and perceive that as, as being good, bad, or not so good. We can look at it and make an assessment, but it may not be the case for, for other people. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. It's like most of the time people just publish a piece of content and don't really look at it, uh, especially when you take this kind of like authority side approach where you're just like, oh my God, we're going to output a thousand pages and so on. Truth is, you don't have the bandwidth to look at every page and we've, we've tended to do that. And, and I, I think we're rolling back a bit from that now. That's why we're producing less content, but we're having our eyes a little bit closer to the content we have already. So I want to talk about when you should decide, do I optimize existing content or I'm going to create new content? And one of the criteria that you need to have to be like, I'm going to optimize content is 
you need to have content. So if you don't have content on your site, if you're starting a brand new site, I would say in the first year, it's not something I would really consider. I would really focus my first year on growing and establishing my website, like growing a lot of links. And for that, it's good to create a lot of content. Just trying to pick the initial sets of keywords you want your site to rank for and establish itself for. At that point, you don't really have a decay because your site is too young anyway. So it's not something that you have to worry about. Um, one thing I would do if I'm starting a brand new site now is I would have this content inventory spreadsheet going on. And that spreadsheet should have the page URL, the main keyword that this page is trying to rank for, the organic traffic in the, 30, in the last 30 days. And you can actually pull that out in Google Spreadsheets with a Supermetrics, which is a plugin that you can pull. I would wait a year, and after a year, I would say, as soon as you start seeing pages that underperform, start dedicating a little bit of resources into working on these pages. So it's a process that will grow as your site matures, because at the beginning, well, if you've done a good job, you'll mostly be around where you expect it to be, apart from a couple of felt pieces. But what's going to happen is slowly you see some pages decreasing, and you're like, okay, let's take 20% of our content writing resources and put them into content revamping resources. But one thing I would recommend you do before you pick that is that you rerun keyword research and keyword analysis on the target keyword for that page. Because as I said earlier, sometimes you go back and check that keyword. It happened, happens to uh, some Atari hacker keywords. I think the um, best keyword research tool is definitely one of them. So best keyword research tool was actually a keyword that not many big blogs were writing about. And it was high search volume. And we created a huge piece of content on it. I think it's pretty good. It's not ranking on page one right now. And so I was like, okay, we might want to re-optimize that piece, right? So I, I run best keyword research tool in uh, Ahrefs. And I see that, well, Ahrefs ranks for it because I've made a blog post about that topic, but Tim was really adamant that he wanted one. And it's fine, links to our piece. But SEO Merch is there now. I think like Wordstream is there as well. Neil Patel is there. A lot of really big people. And it's much, much more competitive than it was to the point where I'm like wondering if it's even worth going after it. I mean, it's nice for some affiliate commissions, but it's not really the main way we monetize Atari Hacker anymore. So it's not that important. So rerunning keyword analysis is definitely something that you might want to do. And another thing that I want to say as well is refreshing these things. I'm going to give you a list of things to do after can really make a huge impact. There was actually that keyword we ranked for on House Mission a while ago. I think we mentioned it before. We ranked for Venus Factor Review and Venus Factor is one of, used to be one of the biggest ClickBank products out there. When that page would rank, you would make a really high three figures a day, like, you know, seven, eight hundred dollars a day. Of affiliate commissions for us, so it was really big. And just going back to that page, and just sometimes adding like 50 words, and we updating the publish date would actually push it back up. So it's something that's really worth it. But when should you re-optimize content? When you see it slip through, and when you see that the competition is not too stiff. Anything you want to say about when to re-optimize content? I think you said two really interesting things there. One is like to set a dedicated, I guess, like budget or like percentage of your effort into optimizing, re-optimizing old content. I think a good way to do this would be once a quarter after your first year, every quarter, like go back and look at this, do a deep dive into the, the sheet, look at the numbers and then decide, okay, this quarter I'm going to spend 30% of my effort updating old content and 70% new or whatever it's going to be. And then just stick to that. It gives you a better model for like how much content to create versus how much to re-optimize. Because it can be difficult if you're just kind of looking through the sheet every day trying to like figure out what to do and not really setting out a, a plan for that so i think 
that's probably something we're, we're going to have to do. Okay, now let's talk about, okay, you've identified some pages that are losing ground or just have never performed to a level where you want them to perform. What do you do? Because like, it's really easy to just have, we could have a whole podcast fluffing, but I kind of want to talk about real life stuff. So the first thing is work on page. It's usually the easiest stuff. You don't have to, it's not a lot of resources and you can have a decent amount of effects on your site. I'll be honest, if you check the on-page on health emission, it's not the best. It's one of the things that we have identified as one of the lowest hanging fruit in our business. So something we're going to work on. First of all, keyword density seems to be making a big comeback. So I was talking with people like Carl Roof from a Search Intelligence Agency. They also have a, an on-page tool called Page Optimizer Pro. And essentially, this guy was ranking lower MIPSOM pages with just with keyword density. So I definitely want to test it. I'm not saying it works because I remember a long time ago, we got access to Market Muse, which seems to be really hyped up in the market. But when we edited content with it, it didn't do much. So does it work or not? I don't know. What I know is there's three tools I'm looking at right now. I'm looking at ClearScope.io, which we're testing right now. It essentially scrapes the top 10 results for your keyword, finds you know the most used keywords and tells you how to add them in your content. But what's really cool is it does it within a text editor. So as your writers write or as you edit the content, it just tells you, oh, it's okay. You've hit the rate for this keyword, this keyword, this keyword. So we're going to test that. It is a bit expensive. It's $300. I think it does more than just correlation analysis. Tung was saying he met the f- guys that run it the yeah, other yeah. day. He was saying that it like has some kind of artificial intelligence processing and links into, I forget, it was like the Google sentiment analysis and like all this kind of... Sounds like good marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point is it's more than just a correlation analysis tool. All I want to say is marketing just told me the same stuff and, it, you know... Whatever. Let's not make more enemies, okay? <laughs> There's other tools. So Page Optimizer Pro, which I mentioned, we will also test it. We'll also have Kyle on the podcast at some point. So he's the guy who ranked lower me some pages and does a lot of like on-page tests. So it's going to be interesting to have him. I need to schedule it probably in the next, I would probably say like November, December is when he will be on the podcast. And there's another tool that's really crazy uh, called Cora. If you go to the website, it's very basic, but the, the, the guy who created it is a huge SEO nerd and he's really, really smart. And essentially what he does is he scrapes the top 100 results for your keywords and he correlates with anything that could be your factor. So he tries random stuff like, ah, oh, is there a share button on the pages that rank, like a Facebook share button? Is there a comment box? Is there all the, like things that don't, are not necessarily factors, but could be? So Cora is like a huge nerd tool that gives you a crazy amount of data. It's not the easiest to use in practice, but it's the one that will give you the most data out of everything. And on the other hand, you have ClearScope, which is really to use, really easy to use and probably gives you the 80-20. Page Optimizer Pro might be somewhere in the middle. But yeah, we're going to test this stuff, but keyword density stuff, you can also run a classic TFIDF analysis if you don't want. I know there's a bunch of free tools. I use the website auditor from SEO PowerSuite. I found that the TFIDF in there was pretty good and it's a one-off and they run on AppSumo sometimes. So if you see website auditor on AppSumo, it's worth picking up just for the TFIDF. Second thing is internal linking. One thing we're hugely guilty of as well on our health admission. It's like, you know, especially if you're running a skyscraper link building, so you know you're emailing people to link to your content, etc., and you're getting pages with like 30, 40, 50 links. These pages have a decent amount of authority. They're ready to pass on to other pages. So just going to these pages and linking them to the pages you're trying to rank up in Google is an easy way to push your on-page. Another one that I start to believe in more and more 
is uh, improving user metrics. So the reason I start believing in more and more is because I'm checking the new authority hacker site, which has a huge bump into page on site, uh, page visits, time on site, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, and I'm seeing several rankings go up, but at the same time, a lot of stuff changed. Health ambition didn't improve a bit, but not as much as we thought. So, but but the big jump we had on authority hacker seems to have an effect. So an easy way to improve people's time on page is to videos or audio on page internal linking will also improve pages per visit and so on so that's pretty good um, so improving user metrics in general better design will help as well better mobile experience will help as well adjusting content length so it's very frequent it's, it's kind of like a content length war on google these days where it's going to be whoever can write the most about a single topic and and when i talk to the guys that do a lot of on-page tests they're like oh we don't really advise that you ever make your content shorter so if you're longer than the competition don't make it shorter but if you're shorter you should definitely make it longer there's a correlation with that but actually the carol roof the guy that i talked about from page optimizer pro also said that in some cases where you're extremely long and the competitors are like, you know, 600 words and you're like 5,000 words. Making the content shorter has actually helped in several cases for, for them. And I think one thing that goes with content length is content type. So for example, I'm going to take VS keywords, right? Let's say you're trying to rank for VS keyword. These are pretty good for affiliate commissions. Sometimes the pages that rank will be like just a table, like comparing two products, for example. And on the left, you get product A on the right you get product b and you get comparison of features and just a call to action at the bottom if you're trying to write an article when all the pages that rank are just like a huge table it's probably not a good idea what you probably want to do is just try to build something that google is already used to rank and then compete on other metrics and so you know not just content length but content type is a good idea Another thing that I talked about with uh, Team Solo from Ahrefs actually is uh, covering relevant subtopics. So we were actually talking about this best keyword research tool post, right? And uh, he, I was like telling him, oh, it's, it used to rank well, it's not ranking so well and so on. And he was like, oh, one of the things we do for the Ahrefs blog is we actually read the top 10 articles and we make a list of all the subtopics they talk about and make sure we cover it in our post. And on your post, for example, you don't talk at all about the Google Keyword Planner. And I feel that is a huge like a topic that you're really missing for this one keyword. And so that's what they do with Ahrefs. When they re-optimize the articles, they just find all the relevant subtopics that have been talked about by top ranking pages and they make sure they hit all of them. So if you haven't done it yet, Google the keyword you want to Google, make a list of all the subtopics, make sure you have at least a subsection about each subtopic. And the last thing I would say for on page is to play with your page layout. And that's also something that's been quite recent, but like, as I said, all the review keywords went up a lot for the, um, with the new Atari Hacker redesign. And the reviews, the single reviews have a very specific page layout that's different from blog posts. I'm wondering if that has an effect, like the content is much higher on the page, for example. That's one of the things that's quite interesting compared to regular blog posts. And I'm wondering if, and this one is a question mark, so don't just jump on your sites and do it. I'm wondering if, especially given the fact that now you can play with your post templates with Elementor without rebuilding everything and breaking everything, it could be a good idea to try different page layouts for different keywords and see how it affects ranking. So that's one thing that I would look at. So I'm just going to summarize keyword density, internal linking, user metrics, content length, relevant subtopics, and page layout. These are the things I would work on for on page. I think you wanted to say something about quality content. Yeah, so those are all, I mean, it's good that you put it in a list there because it kind of illustrates the point more. 
you can make a checklist of specific things to do. Use this tool to you know check which keywords people or other sites are ranking for. Do the correlation analysis. Do the internal linking. You know, cover the subtopics. That, and you can make sort of small processes for each of those and have someone run through and actually do that. And you absolutely should. There's another element which is less, I guess, measurable in that way or less systematizable, if that's even a word. That's just the general quality of your content. If you're doing all these on-page things correctly and you're still and your authority is good, and you're still having problems, it may just be something that is more to do with the general quality of your of your content, like how well it reads, how thoroughly you're thinking about the needs of your audience when you're writing it, how good you are at explaining things, this kind of thing. And certainly as we've grown our sites, you know, it was five odd years ago, five and a half years ago that we started, almost six years ago, wow, that we started Health Ambition now. We've got a lot better at understanding how to produce content. And it's just something you'll naturally do as you get more experience with. This is why in our courses, for example, we always say that you should write the first 10 articles yourself. We say that all the time. It's largely due to this kind of evolution that you go through in terms of understanding your niche, in terms of understanding how to talk to people in your niche, finding your voice, this kind of thing. If you extrapolate that over five, six years, the factor of your learning only increases more. The fact is, though, it's hard to measure how you do this. So I guess a more practical way of at least something which we've gone through recently is for some of our review keywords on a tech site that we work on. So we've had this problem where we've we've gotten to several hundred keywords and some of them doing really well, some of them not doing so well. So it makes more sense for us to go back and rewrite the ones that are not doing so well. And quality has been a big thing. So we're looking at... Sites like the Wirecutter, which is not specifically in our niche. We're not talking about gadgets and stuff here, but it's one of the most well-known sites, you know, sold to the New York Times for $30 million, all that kind of stuff. But they do really, really good content, not just in the way they write, like the physical words and sentence structure, but the way they structure their articles, the way they think about how the user is going to consume the content, how Google is going to consume the content. And so... One of the things which we took away a lot from that is, are we serving the different use cases of a product? So the wire cutter, I use this example a lot in the new authority site system because I I actually read their article when I wanted to buy a a carry-on suitcase to go on a plane. There are more than one kind of, it's not just the best carry-on suitcase. There are different kinds. You know, if you want two wheels or if you want four wheels or if you want one which fits in, you know, smaller restriction you know budget airlines have smaller size restrictions if you want one that you can you know put your suit in or you just want one with a a laptop slot all sorts of different sub use cases or use cases for carry-on suitcases so it's worth considering that different groups of people consuming your content may have different needs so trying to put yourself in the position of your reader and understand whether you're serving all those possible needs. You can certainly use tools like ClearScope and the method which Gail described looking at all the subtopics, which Ahrefs were doing, which looking at all the subtopics competitors in the top 10 were doing and trying to hit, hit all of those. But you can also use that to kind of like inform your own mindset about what their underlying needs may be and then write to that. I know that sounds a bit sort of non-specific, but it really does make a big difference in how you're addressing your audience. A more practical example would be instead of having 
the top five best, I don't know, carry-on suitcases. As the wirecut ever done, you have the you know the best for different sub-use cases, and that that seems to work quite well. The other thing with content is a lot of affiliate-focused content, but particularly, and this is particularly true with Amazon products when they're being reviewed, it doesn't provide a massive amount of inherent value. There's value in summarizing what other people are saying and your general opinion to save people time in making a purchasing decision. But you can really go a lot further in stressing, you know, how to decide whether this product is right for you and how to choose, you know, a certain type of product in how, you know, you're actually physically reviewing the products, whether that means, you know, actually getting hold of them, doing as the wire cutter did some weird test where they take a bat, carry on suitcase around a traffic cone circuit to see how it performs. Don't quite know how much value that really provides, but if anything, it demonstrates that you kind of know what you're talking about there. There are services out there that will, by the way, film products you want from Amazon or take photos of it. You said there are services that will take photos and videos, right? Yeah, yeah. One of them actually contacted us. I'll dig out the URL, stick it in the show notes because they wanted to, I think we mentioned one in another podcast. They were like a UK version of the US one that did the same, but I, I had a look. There's loads of them. Okay. Um, show notes on atorihacker.com slash update dash VS dash new if you want to find the URL because of course we haven't prepared it, but you'll get it in the show notes. And the final thing I want to say on that is like going more in depth with your with your research and not just looking on at the product page and making a sort of quick assumption on it, but doing more research into what like the real hardcore users are are doing. So if you're writing about carry-on luggage, then you'd go to a, a forum like Flyer Talk where like frequent travelers hang out. Or, you know, if you're if you're looking at something else, maybe Quora or uh, some Reddit, a subreddit might be might be more appropriate than a than a niche specific forum. But just the general concept here of these are the kinds of things you can do with commercial content to level it up. And more and more, you'll see that even if people in your niche are not doing it, you'll see the people in other niches are. And these kind of ideas for higher quality content, they will sip into your niche eventually. So it's something you need to uh, prepare for and start kind of working towards. Cool. Now let's talk about the, the few cases where we think that you should not update content, but rather work on new new content. So there's, there's a few very defined cases where I would do that. First one is when you have a new site or you're low authority. So essentially the first 12 months of your site, don't bother about working on updating content. Focus on essentially establishing a website, creating the core pages that you want to rank for. Focus on that. And then after a year, start looking at what has worked, what has not worked, and start implementing that rewrite optimization process. Two is when you didn't cover a niche very thoroughly. So um, let's say we talk about, I mean, when we talk about health and if we didn't talk at all about fitness, uh, for example, or exercise, like maybe we only focused on nutrition at the beginning, then, you know, it, it's worth kind of like covering most of the angles your niche is going to be interested in consider compared to your branding. So if you picked a broad branding, you're going to have to cover a lot of core topics at least. Usually what I like to do is instead of uh, creating a category and put a bunch of posts in there, if I didn't have time to develop that area of the website, is it at least creating a page with the name of the category that you might build later. So let's say fitness, if it was a health site, and then I would just make a huge page that would say like introduction to fitness, the 80-20 of what you need to do to stay healthy. 
and I would just do that big one page and I would not really create sub articles, but at least you're hitting these and you're at least making your site look like it's not missing huge topics that it should be talking about. Another one is when there is big new opportunities. So let's say a new product has been released that's going to be really hot in your niche and you have the opportunity to do a review before everyone else and you could be making a bunch of affiliate commissions. Go for it. Create a new piece of content for that. Or if there is a big news hitting the market where you could be making a big skyscraper post opportunity. So for example, when Google removes search volume in the keyword planner, then making a guide on how to do keyword research for free without the keyword planner would be probably a big skyscraper opportunity and occasion to get a bunch of links. Yeah, I think a good one we did on Authority Hacker last year was the when Bitcoin and crypto was like really skyrocketing. We did one on whether crypto miners, which are like on-screen ad slash miner software, where people browsing your site can mine crypto, for you. mine crypto for you, basically. We did an analysis of like, should you use that? And because if we did that now, it wouldn't really work as well. But because we did it like in its prime, it actually got quite a few links and, and did all right. Yeah. Do you have another one for this? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the other thing, obviously, is like when you actually get a hit. So when you, you know, when you're writing some articles about a, a, a topic or a subtopic and it starts to do well, then obviously you want to capitalize on that and find more. So we noticed a couple of years ago that Health and Mission were doing quite well with uh, supplement keywords. And we had maybe like five or 10 supplement uh, roundup reviews that were doing really well. So we're like, okay, let's now go and zero in on this and just like hit them all. Not all of them did well, but the the success rate from that kind of carpet bomb approach was actually really high, much, much higher than than the usual, um, I don't know, one in 10, one in 20, what it was, was at for the rest of the site. Yeah, it was probably like one in four, one in five, something like this. Yeah, maybe even one in three. Yeah, they did really well. I was say you were going to say, are we going to hit them all? I was going to say, and they all got hit. But uh, no, it's like, it does well. Just like go focus on one subtopic, especially if you're doing well, you can build a content hub, et cetera. And if you're building skyscrapers in that subtopic as well, you can distribute link juice to all these pages. So it's really cool. It works well. And I would say the final case for like creating new content essentially is you have bandwidth. You don't have, really have new content to update. You have on time with everything, which is quite rare to be honest. But if you do, or if you have more stuff than you need or something like that, that's when you kind of use it to create new content. So I think we're going to get to the end of this podcast right now. We've been talking for a while, although we messed up quite a few times. So I'm not exactly sure how long we've been going at after the editing. We usually don't edit, but this one will definitely need some edits. So the conclusion is when you start a site, you don't need to worry about content re-editing for a while. Just get some presence online on Google, etc., with your site. Get some rankings, get some traffic, create new content. As your site gets older, monitor your content, having a spreadsheet that allows you to track how each piece of content is doing. As you see some pieces of content losing ground, start allocating a percentage of your resources to rework on that content. And we've given the specific things that you need to work on both on page and off page for that content. Don't get, don't make the mistake of ignoring that thing and keeping working on new content. Have that shift happen because otherwise your costs are going to stay high and eventually your gross percentage is going to decrease because every time you lose ranking, you need to make up for it with new pieces of content that you're paying for when you already have content that could be performing for, for keywords and essentially maintaining the revenue. So you're paying for nothing. Build a content update process slash checklist that you need to do. We've given you a bunch of ideas in the podcast 
on doing this. That's definitely something that we are working progress on. So I'm looking forward to like talk more about some stuff. We've done ad hoc content updating and it's worked quite well. Now it's time to systematize it and do it regularly and have it going really well. When we have that, there'll probably be a blog post on Notary Hacker about that, or it would be Notary Hacker Pro. So yeah, have that spreadsheet essentially. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, I just want to reiterate that actually taking the time to do this is super important because you will inevitably get caught in a trap where you're just producing lots of content and you get caught in this sort of like scaling bubble. And once you start getting a team and stuff in place, it can be you know quite comforting, quite easy to work on, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so if, if you don't take some dedicated time out to go and figure out how you're going to approach this and build systems around updating content, then it's just not going to happen. And you're going to, you know, go years and years without doing this. And it's going to be severely to your detriment. Cool. So we're going to wrap it up here, guys. If you want to find all the show notes, including the tools we mentioned, I think, Mark, you need to find the URL of that service that takes pictures of Amazon products for you and so on, because I know a lot of people will be interested. You can find all the show notes, including that link on authorityhacker.com slash update dash VS dash new. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episodes. And if you really enjoyed it, don't forget to drop us a review on iTunes. That'd be ideal, but whatever platform you're using, it's always useful. And once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Oh, we'll see you in Chiang Mai if you're coming for, to the meetup on the 31st of October. Just join the event on Facebook. It is going to be pinned on the Facebook page. And Mark and I will both be there to hang out and listen to Empire Flipper Stories by Greg. So that's going to be great. Thanks for coming and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.